Hello again, friends. It's another beautiful Sunday morning, and I'm so grateful and thankful to God for being alive. And I'm sure you are too. I always say that the moments of our lives are made up of a series of choices. And today, again, I choose to be thankful. Even now, as I'm sitting here, I can hear the constant grind of the machine because there are some men working the fields at the foot of the hill. But rather than being annoyed, at the incessant humming that's breaking the stillness of the Sunday morning, I choose to thank God that my hearing is intact. Well, it's Sunday morning coming down, as I always say, Sunday morning coming down. And I'm thinking about the first day of the week some 2,000 years ago, when earth, nature, and heaven rejoiced for the risen Lord. Wow. Our Savior had conquered death, hell, and the grave, just as he had prophesied. Can you travel back with me this morning? It's that resurrection Sunday morning and we're following two disciples on the road to Emmaus. Can you read with me as we allow Luke to give us the account? I love reading from the Gospel of Luke as he's such a stickler for the details. So let's read together Luke chapter 24 and I'm reading from verse 13. You know, as a matter of fact, let me start from the beginning of, 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 the, of the 24th chapter, just to set the context. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the woman took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. That's Jesus' tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men clothed in clothes that gleamed like lightning, stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee. The Son of Man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners to be crucified and on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the woman because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Now we're at verse 13 and we're going to talk about the two other disciples. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. The disciples, you know, they may have thought that Jesus was a pilgrim who must have witnessed the death also. During the walk, Jesus remains totally ignorant about the events of the past few days. He listens intently to their discussion. And in verse, 19, verse 17, he asks them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? 
and they stood still, their faces downcast. And one of them, called Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? In other words, Cleopas was saying, Have you been living under a rock for the past three or four days that you don't even know what's been happening? happening? And in verse 19, Jesus says, What things? What things? He asked. I'm going to break here and share a story with you. I remember when I was pregnant with my son, you know, my physician whom I was visiting at his private practice, he suggested that, um, that I get enrolled in the public hospital's antenatal clinic. He said, you know, it was typical for expectant mothers who remain in private care to go to the hospital and be totally ignored by midwives, you know, when their time came for delivery. You know, and I can understand why they're probably thinking, well, whomever was taking care of you during your pregnancy, let them take care of you now. Anyway, I listened to the advice of my physician and I went and joined the clinic, maybe about six weeks before my due date. It was during this time that um, I met a matron there. Most of the women said she was mean-spirited, but she was actually quite nice to me. So much so that we became very good friends. And through my charitable work, I was also able to secure, you know, from friends in the U.S., well-needed items for the clinic and some of the expectant mothers. The relationship between me and Matron was so great that Matron said to me, Look, when you have the baby, Joan, I can find a nanny for you so you never have to worry about getting a, a reputable person. And friends, I was elated. Well, the morning came for my delivery and due to some, let me backtrack a bit, due to some complications, my doctor had decided to give nature a nudge, right? And so I was now delivering sooner rather than later by him inducing labor. So that Monday morning, I went in and I spent the next 12 and a half hours almost in the, in the most excruciating period of my life. The next day, I was still not physically or mentally well. As a matter of fact, both the baby and I had to be retained a couple of days for observation. But I remember the Tuesday morning, limping to the bathroom and, and while walking along that narrow corridor between the sea of beds with mothers nursing their newborns, I saw my friend Matron. She appeared to be in a grumpy mood though, but nevertheless, I went up to her and um, uh, gave her a very pleasant greeting. And friends, Matron looked at me. You know, she was very petite. She looked at me, she looked up at me, and then she looked all the way down to my fluffy bed slippers. And in front of all the women in earshot, she said, I don't know you, and I wouldn't want to know you. And she just stepped away, and boy, was I embarrassed. You know, and as I shuffled off to the bathroom, and all the while I kept thinking, how could she not have recognized me? We talked so well. We had developed a relationship. She must have recognized my voice. Could I have looked really that disheveled? Of course, I know I looked and felt like a train wreck. But man, anybody could have still made me out among the debris. But anyway, not matron. But then I was thinking again, maybe it's the extensions. Because when I was going to the clinic... I had gotten to wearing extensions right through my pregnancy because just the thought of combing my hair every day wasn't fun. 
but I'd taken out the extensions just before I came in and I'd got my hair, you know, done up in some really nice plaits. Well, whatever it was, my friend had snubbed me. She said, I don't know you and I wouldn't want to know you. So let's get back to Luke's account. So here it was. Jesus had just gone through the most painful, most excruciating experience of his life. Fact is, he came for this moment. He, he lived for this moment. And now it was over, now that it was over, the, the ones closest to him who should have understood his mission. So soon after his death, they were turning away. They were cowering in fear of what, you know, they could possibly face as well, right? Like, like guilty by association. Yeah, man, everybody started to get afraid now. And so we're on the road to Emmaus. We're following these two disciples of Jesus who are leaving Jerusalem to go home after being there for the Passover, okay? And they're deep in discussions about the passion and death of Jesus. And I want us to see that though they were traveling back to Emmaus, they weren't just going home. They weren't just leaving Jerusalem. Friends, they were leaving the church. They were falling away from the faith. How do we know that? Well, we can see the disciples discussing and Luke tells us in verse 17 that they stood still, their faces downcast. Let's pick up the story again from verse 19. Jesus says, what things, what, what things are you talking about? And they responded about Jesus of Nazareth. He was a prophet. Do you hear how they, they're describing Jesus now to this quote-unquote stranger he was a prophet powerful in word and deed before God and all the people suddenly they're describing Jesus no longer as the son of God or the Messiah no the disciples are now saying he was a prophet <laughs> they're no longer convicted that the rabbi they had listened to for over three and a half years was the son of promised deliverer. Let's read on verse 21. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Aha, there it is again. It's clear. We had hoped. It spells clearly their, their disappointment, their, their disenchantment, their disbelief, their, their depression, <laughs> their despair. They had given up hope, friends. They wanted nothing more to do with the scandalous affair of the crucifixion. And the sooner they could make their way out of Jerusalem, the better. It, it didn't help, too, that they were getting mixed messages from the brethren. Here's what they're saying. Let's look at verse 22. Let's read together. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they did not see Jesus. Is he dead? Is he alive? Nobody knows. But the plot thickens and we just want to get away from here. Friends, Jesus was walking with them and they didn't recognize him. But I thank God that in this moment, we, 
what we see is the embodiment of Luke 19 and verse 10. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. We see the mercy of God extended and, and Christ the Good Shepherd going after the two lost sheep to bring them back to the fold in Jerusalem. Luke goes on to account that Jesus gave them a Bible study on the go. And I'm here and I'm walking and I'm listening too. And Jesus says in verse 25, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And so beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. Friends, where are you this Sunday morning? Are you among the women rejoicing in the blessed hope, knowing that our Lord Jesus has been resurrected and behold, he is alive forevermore, amen, and have the keys of hell and death, as Revelation 1 verse 18 tells us? Are you among the disciples who are still gathered musing over the events, wanting desperately to believe the accounts of the brethren, but somehow your faith is predicated on what your eyes can see. And like Thomas, you want to thrust your fingers in his side and see the scars left by the rusty nails in order to believe? Or are you on the road to Emmaus, walking away from everything you've held dear and and everything you've known to be true, and even though the Savior is walking with you, it's no longer a faith walk. It's a sight walk, and you can't see Jesus for who he really is. Not the frail, mutilated body on the cross, although he still bears the scars in his hands and feet, but the resurrected body clothed with power and, and, and glory and immortality. You, you just can't see that, can you? In verse 28 tells us, As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. And so he went in to stay with them. And when he sat at the table with them, he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and began and gave it to them. And then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. And they said to each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And friends, they couldn't say one more minute in Emmaus. They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. And then the two, the two disciples from Emmaus, told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. And I go back to my story quickly as I close. A few days later, I was ready to leave the hospital. Um, I was much revived and, you know, my sister had bought me a fancy little wig, you know. So I put it on and I was all dolled up and I was ready to be released. And as I sat at the nurse's station signing the paperwork to be released, as fate would have it, Matron came along and she looked at me and she said, Miss Thompson! Why didn't you tell me you had checked in? It's so good to see you. 
And right there in front of my family and the nurse at the desk, I quietly said, I don't know you and I wouldn't want to know you. And with that, I finished my prayer. Listen, I'm being real with you this morning. That's what I said. And I finished my paperwork and I left. And I remember Greg turning to me and said, what was that all about? And I said, you know, I'll tell you sometime. So finally, maybe you're like Peter, filled with remorse that the last thing he had said in the hearing of his friend, his savior was, I don't know him and I don't care to know him. I don't want to be associated with him. And I can imagine how anxious he was to see Jesus now. To throw himself at his feet in repentance and say, I'm so, so sorry to have wronged you. But with eyes filled with compassion and love, Jesus must have said to Peter, it's okay, Peter. I had to die that you might have life and have it more abundantly. So friends, this morning we rejoice. Christ is risen and by faith we hold to the promise of his appearing. 1 Corinthians 15, 19 to 23 says, But if in this life alone we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection from, of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. What a wonderful story. What a wonderful hope we have in Christ. I pray that as we commemorate and reflect on the death of Christ, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, we will remember that Christ died once, that we all might have life and have it more abundantly. May God bless you on this resurrection morning. Jerusalem